any of you aware of the new normal of public service announcements, right? Um, how many of you email? You got an email. You get an inbox, right, with emails. Good, two of you. All right, I'll ask again. How many of you have email? All right, all right, several of you. You get in the inbox all these public service announcements, don't you? Everywhere you do business, everywhere you bank, and all these things, over the last couple of months, you've gotten a, our response to COVID-19, right? And the first couple of times, like, oh, interesting. How is this going to change? What's going to happen? And then if you are like me now, you're a little sick and tired of hearing about public service announcements. You're like, ah, oh, tell me something new, right? Everybody gives a public service announcement. And there's, there's a good reason for PSAs, right? Um, it's information, and uh, we just hear a lot of them. We see a lot of them. We watch a lot of them. Um, and they're kind of like really bad sitcoms. You know what's coming next anyway. You could just name whatever they're going to say. You've got it down. I was looking online to see what an official, non-Wikipedia, but an official definition of a public service announcement is. Listen to this. The objective of a PSA, or public service announcement, is to raise awareness of and change public attitudes and behavior towards a social issue. There's a general definition description of a public service announcement. Well, judging by just the responses on your faces this morning already talking, many PSAs are ignored for one reason or another. Whether we are tired of hearing them, or we think, oh, it's just information, and I just want the quick and easy, or I'm sick and tired of it, or I don't want to have to follow or heed whatever the PSA is telling me to do. Um, whatever, whatever it may be, one of the common issues and responses to public service announcements today is to just turn off the switch, not listen to it, and go on with life. You could look at First Peter this morning, and you could, with me, consider and see that First Peter is a lot like a public service announcement. First Peter, the book of First Peter, this little tiny epistle, is like a PSA on what we should do when suffering of any kind comes our way. A PSA. Chapter 1 of Peter's letter um, is mostly a bunch of doctrine, all packed into one chapter. Lots of good doctrine of who God is and who are we in Him and so on and so forth. And then the rest of the little epistle is pretty much dealing with day-to-day -day practical Christian living and life. But the continual theme of all of 1 Peter, all, as well as being knitted and woven into the greater of God's Word and the New Testament, but the whole theme really of 1 Peter is dealing with suffering in the life of Christians. Suffering. This is really the continual theme of 1 Peter. Our specific context or text that we're going to look at this morning is chapter 5 and then verses 10 and 11. Two verses. But I want to show you a number of other verses to see how this all weaves and distills together in this one theme concerning post-suffering promises. All right, we're going to look at this passage this morning and, and see how Peter is really wrapping up his letter in chapter 5, and he has this perfect culmination of all that he has been writing all along, wrapped up in verses 10 and 11 of 1 Peter 5. Peter's speaking of suffering. 
But he's speaking of suffering that ends in ultimate victory. Suffering that ends in victory is the message of 1 Peter. And so I want us to focus on how we should think about suffering as the Apostle Peter gives us a public service announcement for us to look beyond our current suffering to glory. This is what the public service announcement of Peter is for us. And the church can expect seasons of difficulty, can't we? If you're here this morning, you're expecting the Christian life to not hold difficulties. If you're a good enough Christian, then you won't suffer. And hey, I didn't sign up for this suffering. I signed up to be a Christian so I can live life um, uh, on, on a cloud nine and enjoy the relationship with our Lord. That's great, but God, our Lord and Savior, never promised an absence of suffering this, t- this side of glory, okay? But he definitely promised grace and, and sustainment all through these things. So some questions that arise today, two particular ones would be, how long must I suffer? Some of you folks have suffered or are currently suffering, whether silently or not, far more than others in the room. And so this isn't a comparison on who's suffering more, but this is a reality that First Peter was written and inspired by the Holy Spirit and given by God to you, to me, the church, as Christians. And so this message is for you in whatever state of suffering that you may be in. Another question that comes from this, and this comes with Christians, because a lot of what I'm talking about this morning is not brand new information to you, church, but nevertheless, it's very good and we need to hear it. Another question that comes up is, what is the promise that sustains in suffering? And so here's the big idea this morning, all right? Here's here's the, the big focus of the message this way. God wants you to know that suffering will come to an end. God wants you to know that suffering will absolutely come to an end. God wants you to know that from his word this morning. Let's bow our heads in prayer one more time before we get any further. Father in heaven, we have a, we have a weighty matter to look at this morning. We have a very relevant truth to look at. We understand that all of Scripture is relevant, and we need it. Your people this morning, Lord, we need your grace, and you supply that. And so we're faced with a very um, present reality of suffering. We are seeing it around the globe. We're seeing it across our country like we haven't seen in many years, and most of us have never seen. Lord, we're seeing the depravity of man. We're seeing the result of suffering in this world. And even we as Christians, your church, can suffer because of others in this world. Lord, there's much suffering, but you, you've given us promises. Promises that are for now in the midst of suffering, but primarily promises that come after suffering. So Lord, help us to change the way we think. Help the scriptures, the text this morning, to change the way we think about suffering. So we are responding and we are walking through the presence and reality of suffering, physical, spiritual, mental, whatever it might be. So we're walking through these things in a biblically correct way. Lord, you carry us. And so we rely and lean on you this morning as we should always. Pray these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope you have your device or Bible open to 1 Peter this morning. First Peter promises Christians an end to suffering. Okay? First Peter guarantees and promises an end 
to suffering. And suffering in this life happens, but it will end. Not only that, we will see final justice. God is a just God, and his wills will not, or his sovereign will not, sovereign will will not be thwarted. He is a just God. He is a loving God. He is a righteous God, and there's nothing that anyone or all of everyone in this earth and world can do to change that about our holy God. We'll see believers. We will be restored from all harm that has done us, any and all believers. We, we cannot expect our salvation to eliminate pain and heartache this side of eternity. Rather, salvation means that suffering will one day come to an end forever. This is very important. Any of you that are, that are on, on the, uh, the other side of being an adult, right, 18 and under, for you to grasp, parents to instill in your children's hearts and reality so that when they embrace adulthood and adult life, if they can come facing that reality in life and begin to experience suffering that we seek to protect them from as parents, mostly younger age, if they can be prepared to realize that, hey, as Christians, suffering is not going to get easier. Suffering is not going to just disappear as we become adults and, and we change what we do and where we live and where we go to school. And how, but we approach life, we teach us to our young adults and our children that suffering is a reality. And that's okay, but there is a way to respond to tribulations and difficulties and suffering. There's a way to view this as Peter calls us to view it so that it works for us and it helps us, it grows us, and we have an eternal perspective on what is promised after our suffering. And so this is relevant for all ages, all ages this morning, all stages of life for every Christian. But with any reality, just stating a reality is one thing, but coming to an understanding of a reality is another. So I'd like to invite you in, and I want to help you try to come to an understanding of this reality. Number one this morning. Number one, the first reality we'll see is there is suffering now, right? Newsflash, flashing lights, smoke going everywhere, fireworks, sparklers, right? There is suffering now. Anybody shocked? I didn't think so. It's not a brand new reality. But we need to understand that it's a reality. God knows it's a reality. This is what God allows. Okay? God is not the author of sin. But he, for a time and for his purposes, allows the presence of sin and the presence of suffering. Okay? Just because you're suffering doesn't mean you're sinning. We'll look more at that here in a moment. So number one, here's a reality. There is suffering now. Look at verse 10, please. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10 says, But the God of all grace who hath called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, established, strengthen, settle you. Oh, there's so much in this verse. And this is why you can begin to see already, if you haven't noticed already, verse 10 and 11 is the wrapped up, culmination of everything that Peter has been saying in 1 Peter so far. If you, in fact, if you wanted to highlight it, I encourage people to do that in your Bible. Um, if there's a way to mark it, highlight these two verses. In the margin, you can go next to it. You can just write like the theme of 1 Peter. Here's the theme of 1 Peter. The purpose for our suffering. What God is going to accomplish through and after. The promises of post 
suffering. So we're going to look at a number of passages real quick. Put your finger, First Peter, go over to John for a minute, please, John 15, and let us be reminded of the reality. Don't take my word for it alone, but look at Scripture and be reminded of common text, or a well-known text, where Jesus himself ensures us and reminds us, promises us that there will be suffering and that we are going to endure suffering in this world, okay? So I'm going I'm to break things down a little bit here this morning. John chapter 15, here is Jesus preparing his disciples for his leaving. We go here often, but John chapter 15, look at verses 18 uh, through 20, and note these words of our Lord. If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. Stay in the Gospel of John, but go over to chapter 16. Let's look at another passage. 16 and verse 33. Jesus says, these things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. You know the first part of that verse there, these things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. Jesus just got done saying there's going to be tribulation, there's going to be suffering in the world, but then he promises there's going to be peace in our hearts and lives in the midst of suffering. These things I have spoken to you. I'm telling you this so that you are not surprised. Isn't that our response sometimes? Like, oh God, where did this come from? Right? Lord, oh Lord, where did this come from? Why now? What did, how, did, you, did you look at my schedule first, Lord? <laughs> right? We probably wouldn't say that out loud, right? But we think that way. Like, not now, Lord. Really? And he says, no, 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 no. You forget. I have told you these things so you would have peace. I have warned you. I have given you a public service announcement that suffering will come. Stop being so surprised, church. This is what Jesus is communicating. Then we go back to 1 Peter, and you look at chapter 4 and verse 12, and Peter, this continued theme through 1 Peter, says this. He warns us, public service announcement here. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trials which is to try you as some strange thing happened unto you. You know, I can only imagine those that have been around a little bit longer than myself, those that fit into our beloved senior class that have seen life and society different in years prior. You know, the common statements of, it's not like it used to be. You know, this, it, things just aren't like what they used to be. You know, that statement also should be said in tongue-in-cheek, really, with passages like this. Folks, some of you seniors should be the most prepared and unsurprised that the world is fastly changing and getting worse. Grandparents should be pointing grandchildren to, yes, yes, you see what's going on? This is exactly what Jesus said is going to happen. This is exactly what's going to happen. And so you need to respond this way to these things instead of just sitting back saying, oh, well, I just wish it was like the old days, right? Those of us who are a little bit younger, it's the same for us too. It's the same for us too. 
And so we see these passages, and we need to, these passages, God's Word is calling believers to reset our thinking about suffering. You know, if you own a Microsoft device or computer sometimes, you know, if you have a problem, what's the first thing you do? You just restart the computer, right? Just refresh and restart it. You know, and that web browser is just loading, loading, loading. You're like, come on, refresh, it loads. You're like, oh. Well, this morning we need to hit the refresh button and allow Scripture to transform our thinking concerning suffering. And Peter makes it very easy for us in an astonishing way. So the reality, there is suffering now. Verse 10, sometimes we can develop a mindset that is incorrect about the Christian life, as I was mentioning before. There are some of those that have come to know Christ surely and truly, but with a mindset that their new newly acquired, converted life, being born again, a Christian life, comes with it an easier life. There are some Christians that go through life thinking, you know, if I can just be a better Christian, a more obedient Christian, then life can become easier for me. All of these fall in the category of, of incorrect, unbiblical, or, or even flirting with legalism, Okay? These are the things we need to divorce from our thinking and go back to Scripture and, and not just scare ourselves from saying, wow, I didn't sign up for this Christian life stuff if it comes with all the suffering. Well, this is the reality of suffering. And see, God has some great promises in store for us on these things. You consider all the different things going on with all of the, the it seems like, overspoken and discussed CDC PSA announcements concerning COVID-19. We think about the, um, all of the, you could watch endless and endless live video streams of the horrific, insidious um, uh, rioting that's going on, the reality of, of the, the horrible, sinful racism that still goes on in the world today, all of these things that cause us to say, why, Lord, why? The injustice, what is happening? All of these things, the reality of suffering now remind us, we can see it. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 reminds us that by one man sin entered the world, Adam, through his sin. And ever since sin entering the world, there is suffering. There's a reality of sin in, in the world. You know, but there's also, other than just sin, there's also suffering in the world because of the attacks of the enemy. Just because you are suffering does not mean that you are sinning. But because you are suffering, it reminds you that there is a presence of sin in the world. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 reminds us thus. We need to remember, in fact, so we're looking at our text, 1 Peter chapter 5, but back up a little bit and look at verse 8, just a couple of verses. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. A roaring lion, a hungry lion, doesn't rest easy. I don't rest easy when I'm hungry, right? You should see what I could do to a refrigerator or a cupboard when I'm looking for something that I'm craving and wanting to eat, right? Think about it on a horrific level of a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. There's not a whole lot that can stop a lion, <laughs> except for our Lord, right? And here he is seeking whom he may devour, ever present in the world, suffering will take place. Persecution of believers has existed for centuries and is throughout the world. 
don't believe me? Look at this. Look back at the first century, 1 Peter chapter 5. Look at verse 9. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Peter's reminding this local church or group of believers in this specific area and context that throughout the world there is still a persecuted church. That has not changed for today. With the greater population and spreading of the church, amen, comes the greater population and spreading and presence of the persecution of the church. And so Peter even reminds, this is in the world, you can see it around you. There's grief, there's suffering caused by sinful choices of believers and others. And so this raises a, an appropriate question, a, a, um, a, uh, an appropriate question, really. And the question is, how long must we suffer? You ever thought that before? Maybe about your own physical condition, maybe about a relationship, a situation, emotionally. Maybe you look around the world and you say, how long? How long? How much longer, Lord? And Peter shows us the promise. I think Peter shows us exactly how long. Look at the passage, verse 10. But God of all grace, who hath called us into his eternal glory by Jesus Christ, after that ye have suffered, stop, my Bible says, a while. Some of you might have a version that says a short while. If you write in your Bible, circle that for a moment, please. Or just write that down in your notes, a while. I'm going to zoom in on that. A while, the word there that we get in the original for a while communicates the reality of a bit, a brief time, a small, little, short time. That sounds exciting, right? That sounds oh, just a little bit, you know? So this is going to come to an end, or it already has, or why hasn't it? Brings up more questions. A while, Peter says. But here's what I have written in my margin next to that word. I circle a while, those two words, and I draw a line over in the margin, and I write down these words. A lifetime. A lifetime. You go, now how did you get... The original language, it says a, a, a bit, brief, small, little, short, and then you write down a lifetime. How do you get that understanding from that? Peter helps us with this. So stay in Peter, go over to 1 Peter chapter 1, and look at verses 24 and 25. And here's what helps us understand a wonderful promise concerning suffering, okay? Sounds kind of like an oxymoron, but it's not, trust me. Verse 24 says, for all flesh is as grass, right? Talking about the temporal passing of even human life and all glory of man as a flower of grass the grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away but the word of the lord endureth forever amen and this is the word which by the gospel is preached to you we see here in this passage just a little help here actually you know what i jumped ahead let's go back uh let's see here hmm Nope, the passage we're going to look at, that's a good one. Look at 6 and 7 of chapter 1. 6 and 7, I apologize. First Peter chapter 1, 6 and 7 says, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season. Here we go, this is what I want to show you. For a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold, that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor the and glory, here it is, at the appearing of Jesus Christ. I want you to focus on that for a minute, okay? So we're in the right passage, 1 Peter 6 and 7. The last part of 7 helps us understand our passage in 5 
10 of the same, same letter. And here's the way that I think it helps us, all right? In 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7, this duration that we're looking at, Peter calls it in that passage a season. So he uses a while in verse 10 of chapter 5, but in chapter 1 and the end of verse 7, he says a season, okay? This is very helpful. What is suffered for a season? What is suffered for a season is the manifold temptations, the various trials in life, a.k.a. suffering right now. And so then the question leads to, when does it end, Peter? When does this end? And he says in in chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, at the appearing of Jesus Christ. So what brings this season, this temporal time, this little bit, a lifetime of suffering, it is the appearing of Jesus Christ. Well, that doesn't sound very exciting in the interim, right? That this is now communicating and telling us as we look at the whole of context here that suffering will be for a lifetime. That, that's a good thing to understand because that gets us to have a longer, more eternal view instead of just waiting from week to week, day to day for the suffering to come to an end. Okay, this, this is a tough pill to swallow, but this is reality. Peter is teaching us that until the Lord returns, until we meet our Savior, suffering will continue. So the season term is the same, I think, length of time, if you will, that he's talking about in chapter 10 when he says a while. The manifold temptations. When does it end? At the appearing of Jesus Christ. And so the result of a lifetime of suffering will result in, eventually, the promise is praise and glory and honor at the appearing of Jesus Christ. There is a good ending. And the suffering now is good in many ways. We'll unpack that here a little bit more, too. Okay, so now that we go to the passage that we were looking at um, earlier, chapter 1, verses 24 and 25. We read those verses, so I won't reread them to you again. But we look at this and we realize that an ordinary human life lasts only a little while, a little eensy, wincy, tiny bit in comparison to all of eternity. That's what 24 and 25 chapter 1 tells us. It reminds us of the brevity of life. What's the average now? We tell we're between 70 and 80 or something like that, whatever it might be. The average worldwide life expectancy and age. And Peter's telling us, stop being surprised. Don't bite your nails off. Quit standing with knees knocking and shaking that they're suffering right now in hopes it's going to end before the Lord returns because it's not going to. It's going to continue in this life. So no, Christians have not gotten a raw deal here. We haven't got the short end of the stick. We haven't been tricked by um, some some manner into being Christians and then going, aha, it's going to be suffering, right? No. Any any wondering and wonderment here is probably only comes from a lack of, of getting into God's word and seeing his truth concerning this thing. So this is what I want to help you do and understand this morning. So in that an- another passage, if you were to go over to Second uh, Corinthians here, this, uh, Paul is very helpful in this as well. If you go to look Second Corinthians chapter four and verse 17, I'm sure you certain you know this passage well as um, 
says, for our light affliction, affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So not only does Peter call us to recognize the immediate presence, uh, continuous presence of a lifetime of suffering in this life, he says, look beyond that. Look beyond that to the promise of the glory that is to follow. And so with an eternal view, 2 Corinthians 4.17 helps us to see um, anything that happens to us in this life, even if we bear hardship for all of our days in this earth, is indeed only for a little while. It is only for a small time. And it is this view that encourages believers to endure suffering right now. When we biblically lengthen our view into eternity. Notice the contrast back in 1 Peter. If you go back to chapter 5 and you look at verse 10, you might note several words there. Just look at the verse and I'll point out the words to you. Notice the contrast in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10 of these words. Suffered, suffering versus glory. Suffering versus glory. Here's another comparison in the very same verse in, in verse 10. A while versus eternal. A short time versus all of eternity. Oh, we need to get a right perspective on these things. We get so, I get so short-sighted sometimes. This is gross. This is frustrating. This is difficulty. This is really, really hard. I mean, really hard. And we have to just change it, and we have to fix it, and we have to pray that God will remove this suffering from my life. God says, no. No, that is not always my plan. Sometimes it is my plan, and we ought to be praying, Lord, your will be done. But if your will is for me to suffer, then <laughs> praise God for your grace and enabling power to endure the suffering that you have called me to. This is not made up stuff, folks. This is what Jesus teaches in the Word of God. And so, church, there's a time limit on our suffering for the believer. There is an expiration date on suffering. Amen? It will, it will end eventually. It will not last. And so, what is your current area of suffering? Consider that this morning, please, if you haven't been already. Consider your current area of suffering this morning, today. Whatever it is, God's promise is that His grace is sufficient. Just as the reality and the fact is that suffering exists today, another reality and a greater reality is that God's grace is sufficient for you and me. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9 tells us this. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, And He said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. If you've been challenged to memorize scripture, memorize that one, will you? 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for thee. What is grace? What is God's grace? Well, it's unmerited favor. It's undeserving, unearned favor that we do not deserve that God gives us. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 teaches us to wait specifically. For by grace are you saved through faith. God's grace is an undeserved, unmerited gift. And His grace and His unmerited gift is, is as Peter points out to us, this we're going to look at in more detail, perfect, established, strengthened, settled. 
Suffering will not last forever. God will right all wrongs. God is the God of justice and of love and of peace. It's interesting, it's instructive that Peter so closely explains the reality of suffering in light of who God is, whom God is. Suffering, an answer to suffering being, who is God? Who is God? Do you think that way when you're in the midst of suffering? We should. We should. Here lies a fundamental truth to keep in mind when we're in the midst of suffering. A fundamental reality and truth to keep in mind when we're facing opposition and suffering is to ask ourselves or yourself, who is in control? I'm hurting. Who is in control? I am suffering. Who's in control? The church is facing opposition. Who is in control? God, Peter says, the God God of all peace is in control. So as you look at the life of others, you look at the life specifically of Job. I was reminded recently in reading and preparing. If you go look through and study the book of Job, you've done that before, read through Job. There's a lot in there. What an incredible incredible life to look at. What a great encouragement. Job, a godly man, stood right before God, lost everything, family, possessions, and everything, and he remains faithful. Then it comes to a point where he finally says, God, why? Focus on that for a minute. He says, God, why? And what does God do? He doesn't tell him why. In fact, it's never recorded in Job that he tells him why. He says, who am I? <laughs> In fact, actually, he does it a little bit more like God can do. Where were you, Job, when I created these things? Can you do what I can do, Job? Oh, I would not want to be in Job's shoes, sandals at that time, right? Maybe he was barefoot. God didn't answer the question, Why? God answered with, who am I? You look at the life of Job, you'll find that God pointed Job back to who he is. That's what God does. That's what we should ask. God God never answered the why question in Job's particular life, and maybe God doesn't seem to be answering the why question in your personal life right now, but God has absolutely answered the who question in your life. Here we see Peter pointing hurting people specifically to the God of all grace. Peter is highlighting something extremely important in verse 10 here. And 11. Grace is unmerited favor, and God offers that grace to help when we are in need. God is the God of help. God is the God of love. God is the God of grace. He wants to provide that. He does provide that. And so when we are in the midst of suffering, and when the reality is that they're suffering now, the answer to that reality is to look to God, the author and finisher of our faith, the one who is capable and able, the one who freely and lovingly offers the grace that we need while we endure a lifetime of 
suffering. So when we suffer, we need to keep coming back to the God of all grace. And having now established that believers all over the world, like we read in verse 9, and we see in the world today, having known and established that there is suffering now in the world, and we will endure suffering in this life, the text shows us that this suffering is only for a while. That's the next promise, number two. Number two, the reality. We're going to start making tracks and pick up some speed here a little bit, but look at number two. And the the reality, the second reality this morning is there is glory to follow. There's suffering. Okay. There's glory to follow. Amen. Yeehaw. Right? There is glory to come following suffering. The text says, who hath called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. Notice three incredible phrases here. The first is called us, very quickly. When someone is called in the Bible, it's not like beep, 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 ring, 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 hello, right? That's not the calling that's going on here. It's not like, hey, you, come here. The calling that Peter is speaking of here is when someone has been um, chosen or commissioned to something. So this called here, we have been called, we have been chosen by God, we have been commissioned by God to something for His purpose. We've been called, we've been chosen, we've been, we've been commissioned to His eternal glory, and that calling and that commissioning is all because and by Christ Jesus. Peter uses the same word in chapter 2 and verse 21, where he says, uh, for even hereunto were ye called. That's the chosen or being commissioned. Again, he uses this word. And here in, in verse 21, chapter 2, he's using that called to an explanation of the role of suffering. Here's a, here's a mind trip for you this morning. We have been called and chosen and commissioned to suffer for Christ. We've been called into his eternal glory, he says. The calling is to a future hope and a future glorification. God's plan for all of His children involves a place of glorification in the future. It's important to note that's not now. We're not called to that being glorified now. Suffering now leads to a crown in the future when we bear under suffering faithfully. But His plan does not include that glorification now. The promise is not an absence of suffering now as a whole and in general. Praise God for relief from some suffering and and the Lord providing peace and comfort. And There's ways and seasons and times of suffering and individuals that suffer in different ways. It says, by Christ Jesus. Here's the paramount focus of that phrase to understand. He has called us into His eternal glory. By whom? By Christ Jesus. Called by and made by the one that can give and provide what we need. This is the means by which the calling happens. So without the work of Jesus on our behalf, without Jesus, you take Jesus out of the equation, we can't, but just imagine, you take Jesus out of the equation, there would be no future glory for us. There would be zero hope. There would be no future glory, but by Jesus Christ, listen, God is working out His plan in your life. 
The suffering you're enduring is part of His providential plan for your life. And that plan ends in future glory. Future glory. I'm, I'm the kind of guy that likes to take a book and see what the title is, skim maybe the first chapter, and then flip over to the end and see how it ends real quick. And go, oh, that was a good book. I'll put it away. Right? Cheater, right? And then I, mean, I talk to somebody else about it. It's kind of like a spoiler alert. Brace yourselves. Spoiler alert. It gets better for our life. There is future glory. It absolutely, positively ends well for us. And in the middle of that, there is blessing and grace and growth and sustaining right now in the middle of that suffering. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? I mean, I couldn't come up with a better plan myself. How does this work? Well, the Lord says it does. And it all works by Christ Jesus. Listen, God is working out his plan in your life, and there is absolutely nothing, no matter how awful this earth, planet, world, country, state, society, community can get, that can thwart God's eternal plan to work his purposes and his good for your benefit in suffering right now. This is the the, the unpacking, the understanding of Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. And so what will it be like in eternal glory? I, I can't give you all the specifics, but Scripture gives us a really great sample, a really good taste. What will it be like in eternal glory? Well, although some ver- some, in some ways, these, um, these words here at the end of verse 10, look at them, perfect, established, strengthened, settled. Although in some ways these words can in part happen right now, and God is working these things for our good and His glory now in our lives, I think Peter here is most primarily and specifically focusing on the eternal glory. And these are the things that are promised to come and to follow suffering in glory. We study the rest of Scripture and we see what's to happen to believers. We, we were not too long ago studying the, the future glorified body, the being um, reconstructed in a body that is prepared for, for glory in heaven, eternity, when we are raised from the grave. The rapture. We think of these things. I believe Peter is speaking primarily of what is to come in glory. If you went back to 1 Corinthians, I won't there now, but 1 Corinthians 15, 42-43. Tremendous passage talking about the future glory in heaven. And and elsewhere, Peter writes in Philippians to the the Christians in Philippi in chapter 123, and he says, to be with Christ is far better. Why are we fearful of life and death and suffering when it means closer to being with Christ? It's Paul's message, his testimony. Later on in that same book in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 21, Paul also says, Who will change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. These are the promises for us now. And so the great hope beyond the little while, just the, just the little while of the suffering life, of our lifelong sufferings, is the promise of future eternal glory. We can be living now, right now, in absolute trust and confidence of our future glory. That is how you can choose now. 
to live. That is how God sustains us to live now. Living on God's post-suffering promises shows us the power of God and the temporary, seasonal, little-while nature of suffering. And that brings us to number three, the third reality in closing. I mean, not closing in like 30 seconds, but we'll get there. Number three, almost done. The reality is there is growth in suffering. This is the part that we like to just kind of skate over. Like, I, I get it, there's suffering. Yep, Bible says so. Yep, I get there's future glory. Love to focus on that. Oh, wait, there's growth right now in suffering? Yeah, let's get back to that later. <laughs> no, let's get to that right now. Let's get to that right now. Because when we have the scriptures transform our thinking about suffering right now and realize what God is working in and through us for his glory and our good, it will turn upside down our human perspective of suffering right now. Look at this. Verse 10. There's, there's growth in suffering. Why don't you zoom in on a word? After. Look at that word, after. Called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. After. The word after might make us think that God is not working in and through our trials right now. This word after might cause us to think only at future glory and into heaven. Say, well, I'll just, just bear under it right now. Yep, bear it. That's great. The Lord provides the grace and strength to do that so we can be faithful for him. But there's something to look at right now. Don't let this after throw you off. I don't think that's the sense of this verse in its entirety, that all of this is 100% after the fact. It's difficult and hard now, but we just bear through it because of the promise of what's coming. No, there's also a bearing through it now because we realize what God is doing and working through us. And this is where when you study God's word, you need to look at other passages as well. You need to look at the whole of the teaching of the Bible. You need to look at the, the, the thrust and the whole of teaching of 1 Peter. And you look at the New Testament and you see that there are plenty more teachings and there's a greater principles here that teach us that there is current good going on in our suffering as well. Some have noted that it is hard to translate the Greek participle here in this verse. Maybe that shoots over a lot of our heads here when you, when you talk that way, but let me boil it down to this. Most commentators I would agree with on that the sense in this verse is that God begins to strengthen us even in the midst of our trouble while at the same time promising that we will come to an end of that strengthening in our future final glorified state with the Father in heaven. And so there's work going on right now. And it isn't strange, it isn't a, 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 a reach to grab that interpretation of this passage here. I think it's very clear when you consider the very same author, Peter, the Apostle Peter, writing to this conclusion and to this end in other passages like chapter 1, verses 6 and 7 of 1 Peter, chapter 4 and verse 12, which we read earlier. And so you combine those teachings and what he says with this verse here, and it becomes clear that there is a future ben or a, a current benefit and growth going on in light of a future promise as well. And so what is all that promise? We come to these words here. 
It sounds unusual to many that God is growing us through suffering, but today's text is a promise from God. It's a promise that strength is there to remain faithful when suffering comes. So what does God promise to do that will help us remain faithful in suffering now until the end and what will be um, uh, ultimately accomplished in the end? And that is, look at the text, verse 10, to perfect us. Some of you have different versions. The idea here perfecting is to be restored to be restored. In suffering and adversity, God promises to bring spiritual maturity and development, perfecting and restoring us in the presence of suffering. Here's another, to establish us. To establish us. It has the idea, it is the meaning of confirming us, to be confirmed. In suffering, God promises to make you stronger. God promises, the believer, by the way, these promises are only for believers, born-again believers, but the promise here is to be, to be confirmed, to be stronger, to be more able to endure in faithfulness now and in your suffering. To strengthen us. To strengthen. Here's this other word of the four words he says, four promises. In suffering, God promises to increase your resolve and your determination. It's like, a, it's like a shot to the arm of morale boost, right? A determination. What's the old hymn that we sing? I am resolved to follow the Savior. This is this resolve that's being strengthened. You younger folks, what do I mean by younger? Let's, let's try this. Any of you that are, I don't know, say 60 and under, you need to take a good, hard, respectful look at our seniors and see the galvanized, faithful resolve that the Lord has strengthened them to live in, to endure in this world's sufferings right now. Children, you need to look to your parents. You need to look to grandparents and the other senior saints in this congregation and see those that by God's grace have a grace have a sweet compassionate spirit of resolve and faith in the midst of trials the years and the things that they have lived and seen are a ministry to people like me and you i praise god for you senior saints that are walking living breathing testimony of jesus christ with resolve that have experienced the galvanizing work of our lord perfecting and establishing and strengthening and settling you so that we might look to you and say it is possible i can do this we can continue praise god for you folks finally we come to settle us to lay a foundation. Yes, adversity will place a foundation under us. Suffering, when it is looked at with the right perspective and by God's grace, will lay a foundation to firmly stand on. <laughs> suffering works for us. Whatever suffering we undergo as believers is actually for our spiritual benefit. And in that, it, ma it, mat it matures, it, it, it strengthens us God's promise is to fully empower us to stand firm for Him in the midst of all things. These are the promises of God. Don't forget that we are partakers in Christ's 
suffering. You aren't any less of a Christian. You aren't any more unfaithful of a Christian if you are suffering. I'm not talking about suffering from your own choices and sin. That falls in the category of loving chastisement of our Lord. And He will do what He may for our good. But I'm talking about suffering when we are right before the Lord, but we are enduring suffering. Don't forget that in in chapter 4 and verse 13, we are called, but rejoice in as much as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. We have been called to suffer with Him. And through suffering, God supplies the grace, the mercy, and help that we need in our hour of testing. Through this short struggle in life, through this season of life, whether that be 70 years, 80 years, or less, or more, God is at work to perfect, to establish, to strengthen, and to settle His children. Let me end with this statement and then unpack it a little bit and we'll be finished. I want you to consider this. Suffer well now. (laughs) Suffer well now. How? By living on the promise that God is at work. Molding, shaping, and helping us. Will you look at your suffering that way? God calls us to. Peter is exhorting us to look at our suffering this way. God is at work. Suffer well now. To suffer well, we must live on the promises of God that we looked at. Number one was there is suffering now for a short time. Number two was there is glory to follow after this short life and forever. There is glory to follow. And then thirdly and lastly, we looked at there is growth in suffering. Suffering now is for your benefit and God's glory. You know, Peter teaches us that we must live on God's promises that teach suffering will come to an end, that it's a promise of God. Let's find encouragement in the midst of suffering by recognizing that God is powerful enough to fulfill His his promises to us. Verse 11 tells us that To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The God that makes these promises is the God that is now fulfilling these promises and can back them up. Along with Peter, let's praise God for his sovereignty. These are the post-suffering promises of God. You know, the amazing thing about God's plan is that every tear, every pain, every sorrow has been swallowed up in victory. We hurt now, but that's not bad. That's life. Pain and sorrow has been swallowed up in victory. And the gospel, the reality of the gospel, has placed within us brand new desires and new affections. And because of God's grace, my current suffering, your current suffering, only grows a stronger love for God than ever before. 
when we have the right biblical perspective of suffering now. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for reminding us through your word today that you are refining us through our trials and suffering. Thank you for the promise of future glory that strengthens us to bravely endure suffering now for a short while. Dear Lord, my heart is heavy for those that I love and my family extended and beyond. My heart is heavy for some even in this congregation that are here and some that may listen to this sermon later. That the reality of suffering is ever present before them. Lord, help them to use this text to look at Scripture and for you to work on their hearts, for them to be able to muster the words to truthfully say, I'm hurting now, but it's okay. Because it won't last. And you're refining me now. Strengthen us, Lord, this congregation I ask. May we be faithful by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.